0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is the Continuity Conversations podcast, where we bring big business resilience to your small business.
1: I'm Keith Hessel with Serve Business Consulting, where we help you hold on to people on both sides of the counter.
0: And I'm Patty Bonsera of Bonsera Consulting, where we help you create contingency plans for your small business.
1: And welcome to episode two. I know we're just getting started out with this, but there's already so much that we've talked about. So I know, Patty, last week we talked about our whys, Mm -hmm. why we do what we do. I love that story about just having your grandfather start a company. I I meant to ask last time, are they still around?
0: No, unfortunately they're not. So my dad passed away in 2003 and my uncle passed away, I believe, in 2019. So, and, And then my grandmother passed away in 1999 and really kind of by that point you know, the business had started. There were just some things that were happening that it was just not going to be able to continue.
1: Okay. Well, that's a bummer because that was a really cool business model. If any of you need any pointers on how to get something like that started, definitely let us know. But we addressed a lot of the how last time, or excuse me, a lot of the why last time. How do you do this? You know, the the biggest thing with contingency planning, with setting up a business plan for retention, you have to know how you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of different ways. From the retention standpoint, probably the most effective one is called net promoter score. And it's literally a measurement of how referable is your business. Now, if you've been in any kind of networking group, you know, you can put together a commercial, you can put together an elevator pitch, but one of the hardest things that anybody ever has to do is ask, hey, who can you refer to me? Sometimes it works. For some people, that comes very easily. For a lot of people, not so much. But when you know how referable your business actually is, it can make it that much easier to actually ask for that referral. So that's what Net Promoter Score does, is it gives your business a score based on Feedback collected from customers, collected from employees, that'll actually give you a specific number rating your business's referability. Now, here's the thing. That scale goes from negative 100 to positive 100. Zero is neutral. If you have a score of zero, I'm going to guess that your business probably just started yesterday and you don't actually have any customers yet. If you've had any customers, you're going to be on one side or the other. If you're less than zero, that's a problem. There ain't no way to sugarcoat that one. But being on the plus side of zero, that gives you a very good idea of what people think of what it is you're doing without having to worry about getting into opinions, without having to worry about hurting feelings. It's just an objective measurement. For most businesses, especially small businesses, folks who usually tend to be in the zero to 50 range. That's not bad where you actually want to be though for sustained growth when you are a small business con- competing with larger businesses with chains with corporations you need to be above 50 otherwise you're going to have a really hard time now there's one category on there that I always like trying to get businesses to this this is one of my personal goals is to have businesses at or above 80 hmm. because by the measurements set up by the folks who created the net promoter score anything above 80 is considered a world-class business they are the ones that people know by name tesla amazon all of them they are they have entire stabs devoted to customer experience and that's how they get there now that's why we do what we do because i don't know many small business owners you might make an exception to this one here, Patty, but I don't know many small business owners who can devote two, three, 5% of their brain space mm-hmm. to measuring customer experience, <laughs> much less 5% of their staff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I really like that, what you just said, because. I think one of the things, especially like I see, and what's important for us is that small business owners, you know, they have a passion for what they're doing in their company, right?
1: Very much. And
0: they should be focusing on what they do best.
1: Absolutely. And
0: that's providing the products or services or whatever they're doing. Because as you and I both know, I mean, small businesses are all based on relationships, relationships in the community, relationships with other small businesses. So they should be focusing on what they do best and then let the other Service professionals do what they do best to help that small business do the things like you're saying like with net promoter score and and all of that, so I really like that
1: absolutely and i I will say that that's one of the things that we measure as far as serve business consulting goes is you know we work with businesses on trying to figure out what is your net promoter score right now and how do we make it improve because You know, I kind of mentioned it last time with the whole retention rate. Bumping your net promoter score up by even five points can increase your bottom line anywhere from 8 to 15%.
0: So let me ask you a question. Since we're talking about net promoter score, and how does or does it affect Google search results?
1: Yes, because a lot of times Google doesn't just look at the star ratings that you're getting. It actually pulls out keywords in your reviews. That's actually something that I do when I put together a rave report for a customer. Okay. Is we take a look for specific phrases. We highly recommend. I would work with them again. I send my family and friends to them. Those are your net promoter scores. You've seen these questions all over the place. Anytime that you've taken a feedback survey and it says, how likely are you to refer us to friends and family? When people are saying highly recommend, I send my friends and family, that's when you're putting a nine or a 10 on that scale. When they leave you a five-star review, but they don't necessarily put those specific words in there, that's more like leaving you a seven or an eight. That's called a net neutral. And that net neutral, it's not bad, but they weren't quite impressed enough to go about raving about your company. Mm, Okay. And then anything below that, a four, three, two, one star review, those are going to be 0 to 6. Those are net detractors. Those are people who may or may not be actually telling others to, no, don't go there. Try this place instead. And that's the last thing you want to do when you're a small business owner. If you have people trying to drive someone, say, from your mechanic shop over to Jiffy Lube or Meineke or one of the big chain stores, you're losing business. And that means that you're losing revenue.
0: Okay. So let me ask you this, Keith. So how can or or can a small business use a net promoter score in their marketing materials to potential clients
1: or customers? Absolutely. That's where putting testimonials into your marketing materials comes in. Because when you ask for that net promoter score, if people are giving you a 9 or a 10, chances are they're going to give you one heck of a testimonial too. And that's where you can be putting that into your marketing materials, posting it on your website. There are even some softwares that will let you take their feedback review and route it directly to leaving you a Google review as well. Okay. So you get the best of both worlds on that end.
0: Okay. I like that because, I mean, if you were, if like for the customer, they're not going to know what net promoter score actually is, but that's where the testimonials come into place because of the net promoter score. Would that be correct?
1: Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And depending on how your feedback surveys are worded, it can also be giving you insight onto new ideas for products to be offering. You know, if you already offer product A, and product A 2.0 would be more appealing to your people because you have half your customers asking for this specific feature to be added on to it, That gives you the ways to start growing even more while still doing, like what Patty said, what you love doing. So you're not being asked to change anything. It's letting you improve on what you're already best at.
0: Awesome. I like that. I really like that because I really feel like there's this, there's small business owners, as you and I both know. I mean, because we're both small business owners too, right? (laughs) Absolutely. So, So small business owners are, especially those who are in or own restaurants or have products, like physical products that they're selling in brick-and-mortar stores, they're the ones that are most time-strapped.
1: Absolutely. And to your point there, Patty, how many would you say of those mom-and-pop restaurants have a contingency plan, too?
0: Oh, very few, if any. And, and, And that's just one of the things, I mean... In a lot of the research that I do, whether it's through FEMA or the Small Business Administration or the Entrepreneurial Council, most small business owners do not have a contingency plan for disruptions, basically because it's just not really something that's on their radar. You know, the traditional school of thought, which is super important, is obviously to have a business plan and a marketing plan and a financial plan. But the contingency plan is the one that's going to keep, it's like the glue that's going to keep all those other things together when you have some type of an emergency. An emergency, you know, when we talk about emergencies, I think the context of that is relative and and very subjective.
1: Absolutely. You
0: know, just depending on who you are and what your business is, but it's still all tied to having that contingency plan in place.
1: Absolutely. What, what may be day in and day out operations for one person could be another person's version of their hair on fire.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And especially like here in Colorado Springs, if you're listening here in the Springs, you know, back in, I believe it was early December. If you remember Keith, there was the fire downtown in one of the cafes that affected several of the small businesses in that area that have now had to physically leave the building because of all the smoke damage and i know one of those businesses is you know still trying to find a replacement location and but that's still been a major disruption to to their business
1: absolutely and just the way that these do play off of each other when you have a contingency plan You have a way to continue communicating with your customers, continue with your employees so that they know where to find you. They know where to continue getting whatever it is you offer, whether it's that fantastic mocha latte or that wonderful handbag that you hand stitch yourself, whatever the case may be. If you don't have that contingency plan every single time, I guarantee you, for every week that you go without any sort of contact with your customers, not only is your revenue going to drop, but your net promoter score mm-hmm. will drop by up to two points every single week. Right. If you dip into that negative range, there's almost no coming back because there's so many things that you have to recover from that just financially, whether that's rebuilding your shop, getting a new location, you know, getting capital once again to reopen you can get all that but you're not going to have the customer base to start paying off any of those business loans.
0: Right, exactly. And you know, one of the things I want to bring up too is you know, how how do you actually then look at all these different factors to create this net promoter score for a small business?
1: Absolutely. So, there's one major factor that goes into and that is voice of the customer. Okay. So how, how is that measured? There's about 18,000 different ways you can ask that specific question, but it's always going to be part of a larger feedback. When I'm working with a client, I have a minimum of five questions that have to be on your feedback survey because otherwise you're not going to go anywhere. And that's asking, how satisfied were they overall? Did you meet their expectations? Is there anything that you could be improving? How many people or how many times have they been to your establishment and how likely are they to refer you to friends and family? And that last one, all of those play together. And that last one is going to be the one that actually gets you that testimonial because then they've gone through the whole experience that they just finished having with you. They can take a look at it big picture and they can give you the most accurate feedback.
0: Wow, that's awesome. I like that. I really like that a lot. And you know, I know for me, one of the questions I get a lot too is, or one of the things I see is, you know, and you probably experienced this too, you know, most people don't think something's going to happen to them until it actually happens. Oh, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and those <laughs> and, are the people that I never take to Vegas.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, and I, you know, and it's, it's funny, but it's not funny because, you know, most people, I mean. Yeah. If you live in Southern California, you are, no, you know, at some point you're going to expect an earthquake. If you live in Miami Beach, you know, at some point you're going to experience a hurricane. If you okay. live in
1: Wisconsin, chances are you're going to freeze your hind end off at some exactly.
0: point. Exactly. And, and so, but for everybody else, like, cause one of the things that we've seen here in Colorado Springs is, yes, we've had wildfires, you know, but in the summer of 2022, we had three urban wildfires that all required evacuations that were not in the mountains. And so one of the things that I really want to bring to to this is that you have to be prepared. And it's impossible to prepare for every single scenario. I mean, we know that. I mean, there's too many variables there. But you have to be prepared. Your business has to be prepared. And so for me, people ask, well, how do you do this? Like, how do you actually create this contingency plan? And so when I went through all of my certifications, I went through the Business Continuity Institute. They are a global organization. And so they're amazing because because they're global. Our framework is global. And so we have a very specific six-step framework that we take a client through to really show them and and actually gets the plan created. But the most, I feel the most important piece of the plan, there's two pieces really. One is that impact assessment, and that will show a client in dollars and cents. If you do not have a contingency plan, then this is the revenue that you stand to lose.
1: Absolutely.
0: And the other part is actually exercising the plan, which comes a little bit later in that framework, because you cannot create a contingency plan, put it in a binder and let it sit on a shelf and collect dust because then it does you no good. So what I do is we, you know, who are the key people, who are the stakeholders in your company? You know, we train them, we create the communications plan and we do all that. We bring that big business contingency planning on a smaller scale, but using that very same framework to a small business, because I personally feel, and I know you do too, that every small business deserves the same resilience as the big companies.
1: Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that too is you know when when you are a small business and we're talking to our our brothers and sisters out there who are sitting at 10, 15, 20 employees, if that maybe even less you want to know one of the really cool ways to hold on to your employees what's that make them part of your resilience plan
0: oh absolutely
1: because if your employees know what that contingency plan is going to be if they feel like they have a specific part in it that is one of the very easy easy painfully easy ways to get them to have some buy-in into your company and employees who have buy-in are the employees who stick around? We'll go into this in a future episode.
0: <laughs> no, but
1: holding on to one employee from leaving, that can save you up to two and a half times what you are currently paying that person. And if they have that buy-in, there is a twelve percent drop in their likelihood of leaving.
0: That's a really great point, Keith, and I really like that because. When you have a contingency plan and when you're bringing your key employees into that plan, because one of the things I talk about is the less people will panic because when they know what to do during, you know, when that disruption happens, when they know what to do they are going to be more empowered to actually make sure that that company is working through the disruption. They're not going to freak out. They're not going to freeze. They're actually going to have a strategic plan. And like you said, when they have buy-in, not only that too, but I mean, they're going to feel so much more valued because you're bringing them into a bigger vision for your company.
1: Absolutely. And that goes for everyone from your VP of operations All the way down to the janitor. And I should not say all the way down because I used to be a janitor. So I would say personally, all the way from your VP of operations across the board.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that because all of that really just creates, because then you're talking about too, not only talking about the resilience of the business, but now we're talking about human resilience.
1: Absolutely, We're talking
0: about the potential of the, hu- you know, humanity and human resilience for that individual to really feel like that valued stakeholder in the company and not just another employee.
1: Absolutely. So there's your lesson in psychology for the day. <laughs> if you have employees, if they feel like they have a say in stuff, they're going to feel valued. And that doesn't require Freud to give you that whole insight there.
0: Yeah. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> Oh,
1: well, keep an eye out for next time, folks, because we are so excited with where this podcast is going with where small businesses in America are going. So if you like what we're doing, if you have any ideas for a future topic, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We would love to hear from you, Patty. Pleasure as always.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Keith. Thanks so much for joining us. This is the Continuity Conversations podcast. Be sure to subscribe and listen on wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: This has been Keith Hessel with Serve Business Consulting. Be sure to connect with us at servebusinessconsultingllc.com. You can click the Contact Us page or follow us on social media.
0: And I'm Patty, and you can find me at bonseraconsulting.com. And again, to follow on all of our social media. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.